Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sunday Showcase. Highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. This is Project Audion. Timeless audio dramas for modern times. Created the classic way. Hi. I'm Larry Groby with the Generic Radio Workshop. And I'm going to turn over my introduction this time to Robert L. Mills. He's a former writer for Bob Hope, and he wrote this episode of the Jack Benny Radio Show. Mr. Mills, tell us about Jack Benny. This is my fifth uh, of Jack Benny show, by the way, for uh, Audion. So I, I enjoy doing them, and people say, you know, why? And, of course, uh, the reason is for the same reason that I went to work for Bob Hope in television. He was doing the Bob Hope radio show with pictures. It was He just transferred his radio show to television when uh, in the 50s when he transferred over. And it was the same format. It was joke-driven, uh, and that just means that every line – uh, is a joke. It's a it's set up, pay off, set up, pay off, set up, pay off, one after the other. And that's what we did for him. And that's primarily what I do uh, for all of these, uh, these radio shows that I write. And that's what gag writers did. Um, it was, it was just a, an ear that they developed and they got to know the characters so well that they developed them and um, uh, created them in the first place and then carried them along year in and year out. So they knew exactly what they would say and how they would say it. And that's the key to uh, gag writing. And I was very lucky when I first started in this business, uh, at 40 years old, by the way, um, uh, Jack, as you know, had... Uh, pretty much the same writers for the whole time, few of which I got to meet later on. And what a thrill that was to meet Milt Josephsberg and Larry Balzer and uh, oh, some others. Uh, and uh, that was part of it. Uh, it was talented, very talented radio voices in those days. It's interesting with the Jack Benny show, I was a... Um, a seminarian of all things, when I was uh, the first three years of high school, and I was in a Catholic seminary uh, called St. Joseph's College up in uh, Mountain View, California. And uh, we were restricted to one radio show a week. It was kind of kind of strict. And uh, But it, guess what? It was the Jack Manny show at 4.30 on uh, 
Sunday afternoon, every single Sunday. And of course, I never missed it, but I had to savor it and it had to last for a week. And I would actually uh, go to bed that night and see if I could remember the show from scratch, right from the top. And like memorize it because I had to keep listening to the same show for a week until I got a replacement the following week. So that was kind of good training too, especially for the Jack Benny show. Well, people always say, uh, how, how do you get the ideas for these shows? And <clears throat> it's, um, it's odd, but it's usually one little one little something that clicks in your mind and you build a, an entire story around it. We have a voice actor uh, named um, <laughs> Lutz, Pete Lutz, who is just a ter- does a terrific WC field. So I thought, if I'm going to do another Benny, I've got to have WC fields on it. What could I do with WC fields that would be different and that maybe has never been done before. I uh, I thought, well, I need a good sketch to uh, put him in. What could I do? And I think recently we had seen uh, uh, Witness for the Prosecution, and I thought, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could get him into that somehow? And then I thought, well, Jack would make a, a wonderful defendant, and uh, the lawyer would be uh, the part played by Charles Lawton in the movie. So I was off and running then, because then the thing pretty much writes itself, because all I had to do was uh, Google witness for the prosecution and get uh, Wikipedia to tell me what the hell the plot was of it, because it's very complicated when you get in there with the court and all that stuff. And I'm constantly thinking, now who's who? And you know, but uh, and then I I know it it's going over when the cast asks me, how long did it take you to write this? Because they could see it was you know a little more complicated than uh, a simple sketch. So anyway, that's the story behind. Uh, witness for the prosecution and i'm very uh happy the way it came out and the wonderful cast we have i uh listening to the rehearsals and uh what they did with uh, the lines is just uh, marvelous to me and i've said to them and uh and they have wondered themselves i i said i just wish that the actual cast of the Jack Benny program could hear what you guys do with their parts and how close you are to what they would have done if they were available to do it, you know? Because it's gonna, it's gonna listen well, I think. There are a lot of great sounds and uh, we'll, we all have so much fun doing it. So hope you all enjoy it, that's for sure. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike.
The Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Bay, the Sportsman, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Mr. Benny spent the last week in New York City negotiating his new contract with NBC. Plane had just landed at LAX, and Rochester is waiting for him among the crowd at the arrival gate. Rochester, why are you waving that piece of cardboard with my name printed on? Everybody else is wearing a chauffeur's cap. We're holding one up. I didn't want you to feel left out. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Rochester, but I already know what you look like. I know. But it's been a week. You know how forgiving you can be. Rochester, while you're picking up my luggage, I'm going to stop for a hamburger. I'm starving. Um, didn't they serve lunch on the plane? Well, well, yes, but... They talked extra for it, didn't they? Yes, but then I figured, why take a chance? There's been a lot of motion sickness going around. And take your time, Rochester. I don't know how far the hamburger stand is. Okay, boss. I'll meet you out front. There's the newsstand. There's the coffee shop. The restrooms. The Harry Krishnas. Hey, bud. Me? Are you talking to me? Yeah. Where you going? I'm going to buy a hamburger for lunch. Uh-uh. Why not? Hamburger crumbles in the final toy. Crumbles? Yeah. Go with tuna salad. Why tuna salad? Better bloodlines. Bloodlines? Yeah. Sea biscuit out of chicken of the sea. Thanks, but I still feel like a hamburger. With French fries? Yes, I usually have the fries, too. Uh-uh. Why not? French fries slip in mud. Slip in mud? Go with onion rings. Why onion rings? Onion rings is used to oval tracks. <laughs> Well, I don't care what you say. I'm getting a hamburger. And fries, too. Okay, bud. It's your funeral. The train station's not enough. Now that guy is working airports, too. Oh, there's a souvenir stand. I promised Mary I'd pick up something for her sister, babe. It must be the clerk stacking the magazines. Oh, mister, mister. Yes? Could you help me pick out a souvenir? Oh, could I? And may I inquire who the lucky recipient is? My wife's sister, babe. Oh, this is your lucky day. We just happen to specialize in souvenirs for loved ones by marriage. Uh, did you have something particular in mind? 
Well, I was thinking along the lines of a t-shirt with a clever way of saying, I visited Hollywood printed on it. <laughs> oh, I love a customer who's willing to pull out all the stops. Hmm. Uh, oh, let's see here. How about this one? It's while trying to be discovered as Schwab's, I was arrested for shoplifting. She. <laughs> I don't think so. I agree. Uh, that one implies that Hollywood is a hotbed of crime. No, no, no. It's just that Lana Turner is a friend of mine. <laughs> Do you have one that mentions a star I don't happen to care for? Hmm. Oh, how about this one? I can't stand this pompous, prancing flag peddler, and I love everybody. <laughs> Jimmy Cagney squashed half a grapefruit in my face. Well, thanks anyway, but I think I'll tell my wife to pick up something at the May Company. She gets a nice discount. <laughs> oh, I understand completely. It's not easy shopping with a bad case of motion sickness. Word sure gets around. Oh, there's a hot dog stand. Maybe I'll get a hot dog instead. Nobody seems to be around. Anybody here? Woo-hoo, Mr. Benny! <laughs> Mr. Kitzel! What are you doing here? I opened my own shop in the airplane lobby. I be selling my hot dogs with the pickle in the middle and the mustard <laughs> And the mustard on top. <laughs> Who could forget them? Just the way you like them. And they're all red, red hot. I know, but, but I'm surprised to see you selling them here, Mr. Kitzel. And why not? The Kitzel family has a long and distinguished history in the aerodynamical industry. <laughs> a distinguished history? Oh, yes. My great-uncle Isidore, Buzz Kitzel, was the very first person to serve food during a flight. <laughs> really? With a pickle in the middle and the mustard on top, I'll bet. No, no, Uncle Herman tried that, but unfortunately the Frankfurters kept rolling off the stage, the beans. Much better, yes, but I am sorry to hear that. No, don't be. He made millions with his solution to that problem. Oh, and what was that? The world's first corn dog on a stick. <laughs> so, so long, Mr. Beanie. Goodbye, Mr. Kiss. The cast will be arriving soon, Rochester. Have you made the canopies yet? Oh, still without a caviar. Should I do the peanut butter on Rich Crackers again? <laughs> That's fine, Rochester. I must remember to buy some caviar. Boss, we haven't had caviar since nineteen thirty-nine. Time flies. While you're doing that, I think I'll go down to the vault and pick out something from the wine cellar. Oh no! 
Nothing. The pool didn't brand it. The pool didn't give you. No, no, no. I think I'll open the Manischewitz cooking, Sherry. Al Jolson. He crushed the grapes with his own feet. I haven't been down here in a while. Hmm. The alligators seem content. Probably glad to be getting fresh meat instead of all that hamburger helper during the war rash. I'll have to tell Ed these chains are getting a little rusty. Oh, oh, here's the vault. I hope I remember the combination. Let's see. Year I started in vaudeville. Eleven, right. Year I started in radio. Thirty-two, left. My age. Forty. Oops. <laughs> oh, hello, Ed. Hello, Mr. Benny. Uh, don't get up. I just need something from the wine rack. Not the Napoleon brandy Napoleon gave <laughs> No, no, no. Just some cooking, Sherry, I got from Al Jolson. Another party? No, this is just a rehearsal with this week's guest, W.C. Fields. Oh, how is he? He was one of my favorite child actors. He's all grown up now, Ed. You wouldn't recognize him. Well, tell me, Mr. Benny, did Amelia Earhart ever turn up? <laughs> no, no, she never did. But Lindbergh made it all the way to Paris. Really? That's a long way to swim. <laughs> no, no, he flew in an airplane. An airplane? Tell me how many wings they got now. <laughs> Only two. You've been down here a long time, Ed. Maybe you'd better think about coming back up. No, I'm fine, Mr. Benny. Really, I need the job. <laughs> well, next time, at least let me bring you some newspapers. Oh, I have plenty to read. I got my poor Richard's almanac. And I've read War and Peace many times. I got it memorized. Well... Tell you what I'll do. Have they found a cure for the common cold? No. Well, as soon as they do that, I'll come back up. All right, I'll, I'll let you know. Now, where's that wine rack? Oh, here it is. Here's the Manischewitz. Hmm, February, a good month. <laughs> So long, Ed. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. <laughs> Gee, I've had Ed a long time. I wonder if he ever told his parents he had an after-school job. <laughs> Phil! Phil! Who are all these people? Well, the guys in the band. When they heard W.C. Fields was the guest, they couldn't wait to meet their hero. Oh, yeah. 
I guess I've just never seen them all conscious at the same time. <laughs> what you got there? A bottle of cooking sherry, Al Jolson. Cooking sherry? My boys refer to cooking sherry as training wheat. Jack, why are we here? I thought we were rehearsing on Saturday. We, we, we were, Mary. Uh, li listen up, everybody. I called this special rehearsal because it's the only time Mr. Fields is available. He's in the middle of a movie, so when he arrives, give him a big welcome. Oh, we will, Jack. I'm sure the Manischewitz will flow like water. <laughs> that must be him now. I'll get it. Hi, Bill. Good seeing you again. Well, I apologize for my tardiness, Jonathan. But I went to the wrong house and Ronald Coleman answered the door. Oh, how is Ronnie? I couldn't have been nicer. He forgave my error by asking me to guest star next week on the Halls of Ivy. <laughs> good, good. Come in, come in. You remember Mary. Ah, Mary Livingston, the queen of the maid company. The only one I know more familiar with women's lingerie than I am. Good to see you again, Bill. And Phil Harris. Maestro Philip Harris, my comrade in arms. Flap me some flesh. Oh, the, the boys are so excited to see you, Mr. Fields. You're their hero. <laughs> I guess. Over the years, we've blown up some of the same balloons. <laughs> well, here's your script, Bill. Now, as I explained on the phone, we'll be doing our version of Agatha Christie's Witness for the Prosecution, starring you as the defense attorney played by Charles Lawton in the movie. Ah, my dear friend Chuck Lawton, a fine practitioner of the thespianic arts indeed. But I hope I'm up to it, Jack. It's a completely new role for me, you know. I'm usually playing the heavy. Well, I'll be playing the defendant, Leonard Vole. Gah, you playing the Tyrone Power part? Don't worry, Bill. The audience will stretch their imagination. Quiet, Mary. You'll be my German wife, Christine. Since you're the only one we have, who looks anything like Marlena Dietrich. I know. It's a curse I've learned to live with. Well, what part do I play, Mr. Benny? Well, Dennis, you and Phil will be playing Nazi officers. Plus, you'll be singing your usual song. Which reminds me, have you picked one out for this week? Well, I was just about to rehearse it for Mr. Fields. Ah, please, youngster, call me Bill. And I can't wait to hear it, dear boy. When tears come down 
toss around and call my name. You'll walk the floor the way I do. You're cheating hard. We'll tell on you. That was wonderful, Dennis, as always. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our version of Agatha Christie's classic play, Witness for the Prosecution. Play, Phil! My name is Lenny Foltage, and I'm being tried for murder at London's Old Bailey. I requested the new Bailey, but it was booked through next October. <laughs> My lawyer is Sir Jason Robards the best barrister in England. I know that because I checked his resume, and he got his trial experience suing dentists. <laughs> I'm accused of killing Emily Perry, a rich widow who financed my latest invention, a revolutionary new kumquat peeler, and, beneath, and bequeathed her entire fortune to me in her will. Sir Robart's fussy nurse, Miss Primsoil, didn't want him to take my case because of his recent heart attack. He tested me as he tests all of his clients for truthfulness by shining the sunlight reflecting off his monocle directly in my eyes. Must you shine that thing in my eyes, Sir Jason? Aha! I detect a modicum of fidgety concern in your demeanor. Does this make you nervous, Mr. Voltage? Nervous? Actually, just the opposite. It reminds me so much of a spotlight. I have an overwhelming desire to play Love in Bloom on my violin. <laughs> Ecad, man, you're already facing the gallows. Isn't that punishment enough? Does that mean you'll take my case? Ah, it appears as if that infernal fiddle may just have saved your neck, Mr. Voltage. I now am certain that you're not a murderer. Time for your shot, Sir Jason. Speaking of murderers, if it isn't the angel of death herself, Miss Primsoil, why don't you take that syringe and perch upon it? Oh, oh, you naughty boy. If you don't behave, you won't get your thermos of hot chocolate, and not the one with the martinis you tried to replace it with. Godfrey Daniels! You meddling old busybody! How could you possibly spot the difference? It was the olives that gave you away, Sir Jason. <laughs> Done in once again by greenery. It's rosy cheek time. Now roll over and show me your best side. <laughs> You'll see my best side all right, you shriveled up old bag. Stingies! Ow! Gad! I've been skewered! That's my brave little man. Now, don't go anywhere. I'll be back in four hours. Out, you nosy old crone! 
Is that cigar smoke I smell? Out! Out! I don't think the doctor won't hear about this. Oh. Now, where were we, Mr. Voltage? Ah, yes. Tell me more about the unfortunate murder victim. The one you didn't kill, Emily Paris. You two met in a charming way, I suppose. Well, I had taken a temporary job at Harrods in the homewares department, selling my kumquat peeler. The Quat Master cores. It slices, it chops, it dices. Yes, sirree. The Quat Master is everything you need in one simple tool to properly prepare your kumquat. Right, what's a kumquat? Go away, kid. You bother me. Well, gee, I just wanted to know. And all that for the unbelievably low price of just four pounds, six shillings, and ninety-nine halfpennies. Unconditionally guaranteed for one full year. But wait, there's more. You'll also receive this handy genuine leather carrying case, absolutely free. I'll take one. Ah, a true kumquat lover. A smart choice indeed, ma'am. And I'm sure your husband will love your new quat master. Oh, maybe he'll tell me what a kumquat is. Didn't you hear what the man said? Well, yes, but I just like so to go know. away, kid. You bother him. Jeez, <sighs> ask one simple little question. How's anybody supposed to learn? I can't thank you enough, Miss... Hurry, Mrs. Emily Hurry. My husband died recently and left me a fortune. I've been looking for a handy kitchen appliance to invest in, and your kumquat peeler here might be just the ticket. Really? A fortune, you say? About ten million, give or take. I'll take! Um, I mean, I'd like to take you to dinner. So that was how it all started. We had dinner at the Ritz that night, and things sort of developed from there. For the next few months, I spent a lot of time in her apartment, teaching her how to properly operate her new quat master. Are you quite certain that this is all you did, Mr. Voltage? Well, you have to understand, Sir Jason, it has a lot of uses. Anyone can see that this man isn't capable of killing anyone. Ah, and just who might this delightfully beguiling young damsel be? This is my German wife, Christina. He married me during the war to help me escape the Germans. Dare I say, Mrs. Voltage, that you bear a striking resemblance to that other Teutonic titwillow, Marlena Dietrich? Oh, so I've been told, Sir Jason. It's a curse I've learned to live with. But, but my husband is innocent, I tell you. This man simply could not hurt a fly. And just how, prithee, can you be so sure of this? All our fly swatters have a big hole in the center. Ah. Unfortunately, Mrs. Voltage, I feel compelled to inform you as a barrister of some repute, that under British common law, and even some uncommon ones, a wife cannot testify on behalf of her husband. But what if I was married to someone else when I married Lenny? 
You were married to someone else? Who? Oh, some yank who claimed his name was uh, Georgie Burns. Why, are you surprised? Not half as surprised as Gracie's gonna be. Ah, uh, but if you were already married, Mrs. Voltage, why, if I may inquire, and as counsel, I'm fairly certain I may, did you marry my client? Oh, because he was sweet, and I loved him from the moment I saw him. I'll never forget that night. Oh, he was sitting by himself at the bar, and I had just finished my set. You were great, Miss... Oh, you can call me Christina, but right now I need your help. Those two Nazi goons in that booth over there have been following me for a week. Really? Why? I think they want to know where the best restaurants are. <laughs> Uh-oh, they're coming this way. Leave this to me. Oh, tell them we're married. It'll help me get out of Paris. Good evening. I am Mrs. Major Hans Wienerschlitzer. And this is Lieutenant Herman von Kornkorn. Your papers, please. Certainly, Major. I have them right here. Let's see. There's the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer. And not those papers, you idiot. Your visa, visa. Oh, that. Here it is. Not your visa. This is your Diners Club card. Major. Well, maybe that would come in handy at all those new Vestavants that he was going to try. Hey, haven't I seen you somewhere before, Lieutenant? It's possible. I'm well-known leader of popular Oompa band playing nightly um, twice on Sunday in the cellar of Eiffel Tower Hofbrand. That's right. I've seen you, too. You're famous for your... Her curly locks and sexy dimples. All light is very perceptive. I know. It's a curse I've had to live with. <laughs> Enough with the curses already. You are both under arrest. We were handcuffed and taken to Gestapo headquarters for interrogation. We can do this the hard way or the easy way. What do you think, honey? I'm leaning toward the easy way. <laughs> on the other hand... Well, tell me, Major, what's the difference? Uh, Lieutenant von Kornporn here. He is more familiar with that phase of the interrogation, Lieutenant. Well, the easy way comes with refreshments and upgraded lodgings. Lousy hot bed. Hey, wait one big minute here. Has anyone ever told you that you look a lot like... Yeah, yeah, Marlena Dietrich. It's a curse. Then, we were taken down to the basement torture chamber. Lieutenant von Kornborn was from southern Germany, so we were strapped in a chair and forced to sit through 20 courses of That's What I Like About Berlin. Oh my God! Have these beasts no humanity? 
freight continuum, my dear. I'm agog with apprehension. <laughs> what happened next? Well, we ended up telling them nothing, and we were released after they got tired and went home. <laughs> but well, by this time, Lenny and I had fallen in love, so we got married in the first wedding chapel we came to. Ah, very romantic story indeed, Mrs. Voltage, yes. And I'm sorry your marriage was invalid, but the good news is now you can act as a character witness for Mr. Voltage. Well, I may have come up with an even better defense, Sir Jason. <laughs> See, what do you think of it? Uh, you know, maybe I could... Hold it! Hold everything! I have been laboring under the assumption, apparently in error, since everyone seems to be chiming in, that I was the high-priced barrister here. <laughs> Maybe not. I just hired some extra help. <laughs> the door swung open and four Fig Newtons entered. <laughs> and just who are these reprobates? Friends of mine from the States. Meet the law firm of Round, Firm, Fully Packed, and Darrow. Hit it, boys. <laughs> Following the commercial, Christina explained her plan. She would testify for me and then dress up as somebody else to discredit her own testimony, thereby casting doubt on her truthfulness. Is everyone following this so far? No. <laughs> See, under English common law, a spouse can't testify. Never mind them, you moron. It's the jury we must convince, not the sponsor. <laughs> You've been so testy since the heart attack. Huh? Anyway, Christina became a prosecution witness, dressed up like Marlena Dietrich, and made up as the injured victim of a jilted lover. Order! Order! Any more outbursts like that, and I'll be forced to call in Judge Rumble. <laughs> so, uh, let me get this straight. The witness is claiming these letters were written by the defendant's wife to a secret lover. That's right, Ducky. They's filled with all kinds of lovey-dovey rubbish, and they prove the two of them was hatching a plan to bump off the defendant so they's could run off together. Uh, uh, if I may interrupt the witness for a moment, are you aware that you bear an uncanny resemblance to Marlene and Dietrich? I am, Ducky. It's a curse I've lived with all me life. But, well, um, may I trouble you for an autograph? Uh, you know, during recess, perhaps. My pleasure, Ducky. So, how about it? Since them letters prove Christine Voltage lied on the stand, and since she's the defendant's only character witness... Oh, but, but, but what about all the other evidence against the defendant? What evidence? You got a murder weapon? Hmm, well, now that you mention it, no. <laughs> oh, we had a knife with the defendant's fingerprints on it, but it wasn't necessary to the plot, so the writers dropped it. <laughs> How about a witness? By golly, we jolly don't seem to have one of those either. Well, how about that? Lord, I've been attempting to convey this very information to you for the last two bloody weeks. All right, case dismissed. And Mr. Voltage, you are free to go. 
Little Lambsy Diving. <laughs> Your brilliant defense stolen from out, out from under me very pedal extremities. Ah, yes. At least I have the exorbitant fee to provide consolation. <laughs> So that's my story. Well, not exactly. According to Agatha Christie's original play, I was guilty all along, and Christina knew it. Then when she, fi when she finds out I was cheating on her, she stabs me to death. And Sir Jason represents her when she's put on trial for my murder. But instead, I lived happily ever after because Lucky Strike didn't want to look like they've been sponsoring a dead man all these years. So once again, I was saved by the sponsor. Thanks, boys. Jack Benny program was created by Sam Perrin, Bill Josephsburg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, Al Gordon, and Hal Goodman, and written by Robert L. Mills. It's produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks, and is served by our Armed Forces Overseas in the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Network. W.C. Fields appears at the courtesy of 20th Century Fox Studios, whose Tales of Manhattan, also starring Charles Lawton and Rita Hayworth, is currently showing in a theater near you. This is NBC the National Broadcasting Company. Well, that's our Lucky Strike Extra, Project Audion episode for this time. Our cast starred John Bell in Alabama and Pete Lutz in Texas. Also joining us were Ken Jeffries in California, Carl Thomas in Texas, Bob Beaumont in California, Angela Young in Florida, Harry Middlebrooks in California again, and Norm Klein in Kentucky. Bob Mills wrote the script in Los Angeles, while back in Texas, Larry Groby oversaw the production. Hey, share this show with somebody, won't you? We're on YouTube and ProjectAudion.com with dozens more classic audio drama and comedy show recreations to enjoy and more shows every month. So, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>